Welcome to podcast number 17, To the Leaders, a podcast about how leaders can help. I have found throughout many wards and differing leaderships that mental illness is perhaps one of the most difficult issues to address for one who is counseling in spiritual matters. If you have experienced it yourself, you probably have a leg up on someone who has not. But I have found even those who have experienced it still have a difficult time counseling someone else through it. Most leaders simply hand over the number to the LDS services and hope for the best. While it is wise to leave the diagnosis and the treatment to the professionals, and handing over the number, the telephone number for LDS services is certainly a good call, there is much a good leader in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can do to help those suffering with the illness. Now, I've mentioned previously that I had served in several leadership callings, including Bishop, where mental illness was a topic of discussion on many occasions. There are so many individuals looking for spiritual support for their illness, and just as many who do not have someone with whom they can discuss spiritual matters in their lives. Now, I know that statistics show about 10 to 15 percent of the normal population will have clinical depression at any given time in their lives. So one might think that about every 10th to 15th person through the bishop's door would be a possible candidate. The answer, is, answer in my experience, is probably closer to 50% or greater, depending upon the ward, culture, environment, social pressures, and so forth. My experience tells me that the leadership deals with about 20% of the ward at any given time, and that's if they are actively working. That 20% are often the most vulnerable, vulnerable to mental illness and the surrounding difficulties, and are those most often not to have a stable support network. The leadership of any given ward, and that includes those wards that are financially well off, because depression does not discriminate, are likely to see depression and mental illness on a regular basis. More often than not, because leadership tends to be older and mental illness tends to be more accepted in the younger generations, it is probably not recognized and discussed as it should be. Leadership is more likely to partially treat symptoms or ignore the underlying problem and simply, and simply act only when asked by the individual for help with issues. I admit that it is difficult for someone who has not dealt with the disease to even understand it, much less pick up on the subtle clues that would lead to a diagnosis. Even if it is suspect, suspected, often the leader pushes mental illness to the realm of, okay, let's call it the church loony bin, LDS services. I am sorry if that offends anyone at LDS services, and I don't think that way. I've just found many who do. Well, they don't call it that, but to them it is a black box where you send somebody dealing with emotional issues so they can get fixed and come back into an activity, come back into activity. They do so with love, kindness, and every good intention, but still to the black box and let me know when you get fixed. Now, before anyone gets too Fired up about what I said, understand that the bishop, Relief Society president, or elders quorum president, ministering brother or sister, is not professionally trained to deal with mental illness. It is certainly not their job to treat and fix the underlying issue, and yes, LDS services is the right call. But there are many things leadership can do to help someone who is suffering without relegating everything to the black box and hoping that LDS services can fix it all. Now, I hope to express some of those things that might be of help to those in leadership callings. This includes anyone responsible for another member of the church in almost any capacity, but I will be directing my remarks specific to those individuals who do the most counseling. Now, I do so out of my own opinion. 
And while I might make mention of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in my remarks, in no way, it in no way implies that I speak for the Church in any capacity other than a member expressing his opinion on a topic that is dear to my heart. So if you're leading a flock of members and you, you know, know that you're likely to come in contact with membership on a regular basis that is dealing with some level of mental illness, what can you do to help the person? Is there some kind of a list or can I check or, you know, a checklist or a manual that I can use? I really wish there was a manual, but probably no such luck. If you've listened to any of the podcasts before this episode, you will find that mental illness is a complex issue causing changes in reality, ability, capacity, activity, and spirituality. I do recommend listening to at least a few of them. So what can you feasibly do? There are many good things you can do on a regular basis within what you are already doing that can be of great benefit. It might only require just a few adjustments. So here we go. First, recognize that leadership is most likely to come in contact on a regular basis with individuals suffering from some sort of mental illness. Many of the things we see in the church, such as inactivity, lack of capacity, lack of desire, even sometimes simply walking away from the path, are not a set of bad choices someone just woke up one day and decided to make. Many times individuals are dealing with issues, both internal and external, causing such a pressure on the mind and soul that depression or other mental concerns such as anxiety takes over. Often they cannot even tell you that is the problem, but the symptoms do show up. Now my daughter takes an assessment every time she goes to the counselor and it goes something like this. And I'm gonna walk through a few of the items that she gets to answer on a scale of one to four. First of all, she goes through a whole list of physical attributes of the body. Um, that includes everything from cardiovascular to the immune system to eyes, ears, nose, and throat. Often, depression shows up in physical symptoms. The next thing she goes through is a little scale of one to, four, one to three, and this is some of the things that's in that scale. Little interest or pleasure in doing things, feeling down, depressed, or hopeless, trouble falling or staying asleep, or sleeping too much, feeling tired or having little energy, poor appetite, or overeating, feeling bad about yourself, or that you're a failure, or have let yourself or family down, trouble concentrating on things such as reading the newspaper or watching television, moving or speaking so slowly that other people have noticed, or the opposite, being so fidgety or restless that you have been moving around a lot more than usual. Thoughts that you would be better off dead or hurting yourself in some way. And then she has a whole nother list of things that she would go through of on a scale of one to four. Anxious mood, tension, fears, and these each have their own little subcategories. Worries, anticipation of the worst, fearful anticipation, under tension, feelings of tension, fatigability, startle response, move to tears easily, trembling, fears, out of uh, of dark, strangers, insomnia, unable to fall asleep, too much sleep, intellectual, difficult to get concentration, depressed mood, somatic, muscular, somatic sensory, cardiovascular again, respiratory, gastrointestinal. You can imagine that there are a variety of things that they are looking for. Um, now, if you were to give in this scale to those with whom you are working and counseling, what do you think they would say? I'm not asking you to be a doctor or even diagnose anything, but I am asking you to be observant. If it looks like depression, 
and feels like depression, then it is probably far more, far more difficult on the inside or the person with, of the person with whom you are counseling. Yes, some types of depression come with pressures and the sins of life, and adjustments to those pressures and even sinful behaviors should bring a measure of relief and happiness. Depressions caused by external pressures should cease when the pressures cease. Depressions caused by internal factors such as trigger events, abuse, accidents, death, and chemical genetic factors are more likely to need professional help before they can be managed. And it's important to note that they may only be able to manage it. There may not be a fixing it. Sometimes we as leaders go about things as if reading scriptures, going to the temple, serving another is all the, the all-encompassing answer. To be the be more, do more, serve more is good for situations where it is lacking, but it can be detrimental to someone suffering from clinical depression. The first thing leaders can do to help is to recognize that depression might be causing some of the symptoms and issues the person is facing. And until they face the depression or the mental illness or anxiety, not much is likely going to get better. Now, the next thing leaders can do after, they, after a person has a diagnosis is understand that mental illness is not leprosy. And the person is not going to break down every time you talk to them about it. Support is a key element in managing and recovery from mental illness. Support from a leader can make a significant difference. This doesn't mean that you're going to have to go over to their house every evening and counsel with them. What this does mean is that you make sure they have the support they need to keep them on track with the treatments. This is going to be tough in many cases. Many individuals, if not all of them, are going to are not going to stay on the medications and continue to go to counseling and continue to work with other types of treatments. It is common for individuals to have several start and stop moments with the illness. What they need is someone who is understanding, non-judgmental, and who will gently lead them back to the treatments that are working. Remember that most individuals who have a mental illness cannot necessarily see the benefits of the treatments at work. Leaders can be a good source resource to remind them how valuable the treatments are and that they are working and the changes that they are seeing in them. There's also one particular note for bishops and stake presidents in the support process as they deal with as they are often the ones who have to deal with the repentance issues. People with mental illnesses, specifically depression, maybe even anxiety, will look to all sorts of self-medication to help with pain and suffering. They are not intentionally walking away from their covenants with the Lord. It is simply a natural reaction to emotional fatigue and pain. And let me tell you, that type of fatigue and pain they are feeling is beyond what I can express. It is not that the pain is sharp or the exhaustion is always completely debilitating although it is at times. It is that it never ends. As far as I'm concerned and in my experience, the duration and daily torture can only be described as a hell. It doesn't mean that they will not get addicted to the self-medication, but it does, that, it does mean that during the treatment process, they are likely to fall several times before they are able to finally get to a point they can overcome the addiction and manage the mental illness. Depression often takes time to heal to a point of management and recovery. And until that happens, addictions are likely to slowly subside over the treatment process. This means that if the addictions include things that will be considered sin, such as drugs, alcohol, pornography, and so forth, that they are likely to continue to fall into beha the behaviors several times before they are able to claw their way out. 
This is not often a function of simple lack of resolve or determination or even a lack of love for the Lord. It is just part of the recovery process. Depression, and all that goes with it, feels almost identical to sin. Not only can you not feel the spirit or trust your feelings, but heavy guilt and difficult worthlessness is almost universal with the mental illness. So it is no wonder that one might return to self-medications from time to time as one works towards managing the illness. What I am saying is that it is wise to manage sin with a merciful hand as the individual works through the difficulty of the mental illness, especially if the individual is young, single, but even those who are old and married or divorced and widowed can have great difficulties. I think you get the picture. Now, I'm not saying that you give license for sin, but I can say be wise with the removal of church blessings or opportunities as it can do far more damage than good. And the intent of removal of blessings is simply is to inspire repentance, not to do further damage to an already wounded soul. I know that this can be difficult, can be a difficult needle to thread when you are trying to balance the Lord's requirements of obedience against a mental illness. But if you recognize the illness, then you can tailor the repentance experience to be a loving and helpful, not destructive. Now, I agree that sin causes many of the same emotions as depression. I guess I probably already have mentioned that. So separating those who have an illness and those who do not is incredibly important. Their paths to becoming whole are likely going to be very different. I have no doubt with the Lord's help and his mantle, you'll be able to do this. Back to the idea of support. I know from experience that that those most likely to suffer with depression are those who may not have a good support network. They may come from good homes with loving families, but are simply not supported in effective ways. This is especially true for youth. Sometimes they need support in different ways to help them through treatment and healing. They're going to need help with friends, family, corns, classes, leaders, and so forth. How can you best help? If you don't know how best to support them, find someone who can. Often this can be another leader, a good friend, even someone else in the ward who has or is suffering. You will find that those of us who suffer with depression have a tendency to be kindred spirits who connect easily. This is also true when talking about those dealing with less than ideal situations, individuals who are divorced, widowed, young, single, older, single, or who are dealing with issues of same-sex attraction. These individuals should be watched over with care as they are the most susceptible to depression and other mental illness concerns. And children of these vulnerable individuals can also be just as susceptible to mental illness. The illness comes in all varieties and forms and levels. Individuals who have recently experienced what would be termed as a trigger event are also very vulnerable to variations of the illness. Trigger events are often events such as death, especially suicide, abuse in all forms, accidents of a traumatic nature, even if it only happened to someone close to them, and other types of jarring occurrences in their lives. Sometimes no one even knows that the event has happened. Watching for the signs of depression can give you an understanding that someone needs something needs to be addressed. It doesn't always need to be the leadership, and often it might need to be a professional counselor. The key is to be close enough to recognize the changes and to find out what is happening. A normal, happy youth who seems to have become reserved, standoffish, absorbed in music, not desiring activities in church, looks depressed, sad, or sick frequently without really any community illnesses running around, 
is likely to have something going on. Now, some other notes are probably important, but I'm not sure I have exactly a category for them. Individuals who suffer often look to someone spiritually can use as a sounding board. They have great difficulty feeling the spirit because of the illness, so they will often be unsure of themselves and ask for frequent blessings and so forth. Now, just a quick thought on blessings. I know that there is a some in some places in the church there's a prevailing thought that one blessing is sufficient and then you need to somehow claim the promises of the blessing and you don't need another blessing. I'm not sure where it's come from and I don't think that there's any doctrine to support it anywhere. When someone asks for a blessing, it should be given. Often those suffering from mental illness will ask for blessings of health on a regular basis as many symptoms do not show up in the body as ailments. The reality is that they more often need spiritual guidance they are having great difficulty finding due to the effects of the illness. I received a blessing almost every month or maybe even more frequently during my mission, and the effects were miraculous in every occasion. Give blessings and don't worry about the misconception that blessings somehow need to be regulated. If they ask for a blessing of help rather than a blessing of support, then give that. I don't think the prophet would have any difficulty with saying that, but if he does, I can certainly be corrected. Leaders can do so much for those they serve by simply listening. I know that is the nature of men to try and fix the issue, and so it might take great restraint for some of you just to listen. Sometimes that's all they need. They need to be heard, their promptings confirmed, and then allow the person to work through the treatment and healing process. It took me more than a decade to finally work through my healing process, and that was after I had a blessing that removed the illness. So be kind, be loving, and understanding when they come to you broken because they have fallen again or the treatments aren't working quite as quickly as they hoped. Remember that mental illness has serious impacts to the spiritual abilities of the afflicted person. The illness does not make them inept or incapable, but it will affect their spiritual abilities from time to time. Make going to church activities, temple, fulfilling assignments, and other types of outward activities very difficult. If they don't show up, a simple call with understanding and love will do the job. Anything more will likely add to an already guilty conscience. Finally, one of the main reasons that I would hide my illness from my leadership is I didn't want to be treated with kid gloves. I wanted to, and treated as a patient in the psych ward, I wanted a calling. I wanted to contribute. I wanted to be a full member of the church. Yes, my body and my illness didn't always agree, but I still had capacity to serve. Don't avoid giving callings to someone afflicted. And that means what we term heavy callings. Allow them to serve. Just make sure that they have capable counselors and advisors and others who can take over when needed. Yes, they're going to need help understanding and help. They're going to need help understanding and help. But to avoid giving them callings or relegating them to hymn book rearranger is not going to help them feel better about themselves. Depression comes with sufficient guilt and feelings of worthlessness and self-doubt. And there's probably no need to add to that battle. Just make sure they communicate with you and yet let you know when things are difficult. Well, I suppose that's enough for today. I hope that I have helped in some small way. I hope that maybe I provided something that sparked your mind. And a small amount of inspiration can be a match that starts a fire. Now, as always, the Lord requires the fight, and he can do the rest. We'll talk to you next week.